This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. That can be found on your pew Bibles on page 1010. So it's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Through through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome uh, to King's Cross Church. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad to have you here. My name is Trevor Nelson, and I am one of the pastors here. Um, Normally, you see me up here leading the worship team, and uh, a few times a year, I have the privilege of preaching, and so it's fun to make the swap with Pastor Will today, and if you know Will at all, you know about his love for Christmas and for Christmas songs, and so when I was making the schedule, and I had like a full band scheduled today, I was super excited. I was like, oh man, we're going to have a full band. I can get up there lead without a guitar, and then I looked, and I had been placed on the preaching schedule, and I was like, I think Will did that. I think he... I think he saw that it was the beginning of Advent and he could get up here and do a bunch of Christmas songs, but it's great. I'm, I'm super thankful to do that. It's super fun um, to do this, to be here with you. I'm super grateful um, that we get to do that. So before we jump into our text, which if you, if you heard before, it's Hebrews 13. We're going to be in verses 15 and 16. Uh, primarily, we're going to jump around a little bit in the chapter, um, but those are the primary verses that we're going to be looking at. Before we jump into that, though... Um, I get, I have the privilege of setting up our Advent series, and so I'm excited to do that. I just kind of want to start there. Like, what, what do we mean by that? What is Advent? Uh, you know, I know that like not everyone comes from a background in the church or even out of the church where, where Advent was observed or there was like a historic church calendar um, that was adhered to. That's kind of my background. I come from a Southern Baptist church. We didn't really talk about the Christmas season as Advent. We, we, it was kind of like it wasn't Christmas and then it was Christmas, kind of like it, it wasn't Easter and then it was Easter. And so I know a lot of us have that same, maybe have that same background. And uh, so Advent by definition means waiting. Or to wait. Uh, and so the question is, what, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting on in this season exactly? And I want to uh, read this. This is a quote from a resource that we use a lot um, for our worship services, for uh, liturgical prayers and elements and things like that. Um, it's called the Worship Source Book. And this is a quote from that. It's from the Calvin Institute of, of Christian Worship. And it says this. The season of Advent, a season of waiting, is designed to cultivate our awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. In Advent, we hear the prophecies of the Messiah's coming as addressed to us, people who wait for the second coming. 
In Advent, we heighten our anticipation for the ultimate fulfillment of all Old Testament promises. When the wolf will lie down with the lamb, death will be swallowed up and every tear will be wiped away. And in this way, Advent highlights for us the larger story of God's redemptive plan. So that's what they say about Advent. So, so Advent for us means that we, we enter into a kind of tension, right? It's, we get to look back and we see the arrival of Christ. We see the arrival of the Messiah, but we're looking ahead also to the return of King Jesus. This is a, a phrase we use around here a lot, but we live in the already but not yet. Like Christ has already come but we, we see the realities of the world around us, right? And, and we long for the day when Christ returns. So that is the tension we kind of step into during Advent. We, we also want to put ourselves in the shoes of, of people who are waiting for the Messiah. So even like thinking back to when Jesus came and, and the 400 years that God was silent uh, at, at the end of the, the time of the prophets. Before John the Baptist, we look to prophecies that foretold the coming birth of Jesus. And, and so we want to enter into that tension today. Like we, we see Christ has come. We look to his return as, at the same time, putting ourselves in the shoes of the people who are waiting on the coming Messiah. And we do that. Um, this is one of our uh, kind of values at King's Cross Church is that we are we, we say we're purposefully liturgical. So even in, in the way that we approach the Advent season, it's connected to the church calendar. And 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 the reason we do that, the, the church calendar is designed, it's not a biblical mandate, right? But the whole goal of it is for us to have the, the life of Christ in view throughout the entire year. Um, we don't do those things because they seem cool because they're old, right? We do them because there's value in ordering our lives and even our calendars around the person and the work of Jesus. And with that in mind, you'll notice we lit two candles this morning because it's actually the second Sunday in Advent and the way the calendar fell, the way we had to kind of do things with our scheduling, we're starting Advent today. So in this instance, we're purposefully wrong uh, when, <laughs> for when we're starting it. So we, we know that. So if you're like, why did she light two candles instead of one candle today? That's why. So this is technically the second Sunday in Advent, but we're starting our Advent series this morning. Would you pray with me? We'll get started. So God, thank you. Um, thank you that you are a God who uh, brings love and joy and peace and hope and that you uh, have bestowed your charity on us in uh, the work and, and what Jesus has done. And, and I thank you this morning that we get to look at the birth of Christ. We get to look at your commandments and scriptures to see your love for us, uh, what you would have us do in response to you in obedience. And, and so God, I'm thankful for that this morning. God, would you, um, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to be attentive to your word? God, would you, um, would you show us your power and your might and your glory? And we give all the glory and praise and honor to you. This morning we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're like me, when, when you're having a meal... This is kind of how I am. One of the last things that, that maybe you want to hear, okay, I keep putting it on you. This is me. This is my personal confession. So maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. Uh, but in a meal, the last, maybe some, one of the last things I want to hear is like, hey, can I have some of yours, right? 
now, I, I don't want to get in trouble here. I was telling my wife about this, and she was like, oh, really? That's how you feel? Um, and so Aaron and I will often go like on dates, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll order something different, and we'll share that. And that's great. I love that. I love being like, oh, that looks good. Let's try that and kind of do like a, like a bite swap, right? Um, but it's more like hey, I, I refused to order fries, but I want your fries. Or like whatever, you know, whatever the thing is. And it's almost like this triggering thing for me. I know it's like, it's silly and it's, it doesn't make any, it doesn't matter. But it's like, I mean, I don't know that I want to share this food right now. Um, especially if it was like, hey, do you want fries? Like, no, I don't want fries. Oh, but I want your fries. Um, and Howard and I, we've joked about this. He, he calls it food insurance. Which is like, hey, I'm on my way home. I'm going to grab some food. Do you want anything? He gets it anyway. He's like, I don't, he's like, it's food insurance. I don't know. I got two orders of fries or whatever. It's not just that though. It's also like now that I have kids, a thing that I've noticed is we will be sitting. So like we always try to eat dinners together as a family um, as, as much as we can, which is most nights. But breakfast is a lot different, right? Because like people wake up at different times. We're trying to get out the door. We're trying to get kids ready for school and for daycare. And so often I'll find myself like we've already fed the boys and I'm sitting down to like eat my breakfast. And they are, they've had a full meal, both of them. Uh, and then they just keep coming back through the dining room like, oh, dad, what's that? Can I have some of that? And they won't, what I'm eating uh, my 18-month-old, or I guess 19-month-old now, comes up to me and is like, bite, bite. Like that's, it's like, how do I say no to that, right? Um, but I, if I'm honest, I'm like, oh, you guys already ate. Like this is all I'm getting for several hours. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to share this with you. Um, I don't know where that comes from other than just like liking food and maybe being a selfish person. But maybe you can relate to that. But here, here's the thing. That's kind of a silly example. But the reality is like, Sharing is not our default. That's not like our default wiring, right? Our default from an early age is to like hoard things. Um, it's not natural for us to give things away. We have to teach kids to share. And it doesn't matter. You just watch kids playing for a little bit. You'll notice this. Like a kid will have a toy. It probably is not even theirs, right? Like they just found it and they pick it up and they want to play with it. And now they're like, this is mine. This is my toy. And then they get bored with it and they set it down and they go do something else. And then another kid will go pick that up and in their peripheral vision, they'll see it. And they'll be like, hey, no, 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 that's mine. I'm playing with that. It's like, dude, it was like over there. Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter. It, it's like we, we have this tendency to hoard things, to grab them, to say, hey, to hold on to it, say this is mine. I, I reserve the right to want that back at any time. And we learn that like from an early age to just brand stuff in that way. And I think the older we get, the, the feeling can actually stay and it can, it can get stronger. It just looks different. It, it looks different. It's not toys, but it's other things, right? And our culture, the world around us kind of ingrains that in us. Every day we face things in our world and our, our culture that reinforce that idea. It's this selfish desire to hold on to things, to gain more and more. The world values gaining wealth, hoarding wealth. In fact, uh, a lot of instruction on how to like build your own wealth revolves around keeping it, right? Keeping what you have and then like reinvesting it. And in the economy of culture, the purpose of being charitable then often of being generous is like tax deductibility, right? It's like, well, it's a, it's a tax deduction. So yeah, of course I'm going to do that. You give money to a nonprofit for the sake of a tax deduction. Now, now I'm not saying that like financial security or growing your bank account is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. Um, that that's not the point. The point is uh, the world would say the way to do that is like to keep it, right? To hold on to it. 
giving more away in order to gain is not something our culture really has in its vocabulary. The world places a high emphasis on taking care of yourself, on amassing wealth, on accumulating stuff for your own sake. That's what the world says, but thankfully, thankfully we have the word of God, right? Jesus taught us that the economy of the kingdom of God is, is much different than what we see in the world. To give is to receive, to, to have little is to be cared for by God. And the apostles in the New Testament and the New Testament writers expanded on these principles. They gave us practical, real-world applications for living in that kingdom economy. So we'll see a little bit of that today in our text. And as we, as we look at this, I think there are uh, four things that we're going to look at that, that, that charity is. So we're, we're talking specifically about Christian charity this morning. We're going to look at four things that charity is this morning. And we're going to look at how two ways that that applies and connects to the Advent season. So if you'll look at the text with me, we'll get started. We're going to spend a little time in, in kind of all over chapter 13. Um, but our primary verse is 16, so if you look there now, it says this. Do not neglect to do. And I'm going to stop right there. We can keep going, but I want to pause. I want to spend some time here. Do not neglect to do. So here's the thing. When we talk about, in this context, when we talk about charity, when we talk about generosity, when we talk about giving, it's, it's an active thing. Charity is an intentional act. That's our first charity is. Charity is an intentional act. You can't be generous or charitable uh, by default. It's not something that happens accidentally. It's not like those things where you sign up for a free week of service and then you forget about it and then you start paying for that service every month because you've forgotten about it, right? Uh, We've all, maybe you haven't done that, but we've done that a couple of times. We signed up for a service and then a month goes by, we forgot about it and now we're paying for it. Orion and I were joking about it earlier this week that like, you kind of have to set a calendar now. Or I mean, uh, you have to set a reminder on your calendar now. Like, oh, in, in two weeks, I need to cancel that thing so that I don't get, continue to get charged for it. And so we can absolutely like accidentally buy something, right? But that doesn't happen with being charitable. It's not like you can go out to the giving station out there and sign up for a free week of tithing and then accidentally start getting charged for that. Like, we don't, that's not a thing that exists. And so no one's accidentally being charitable. It's an intentional act. He says, do not neglect to do. It requires intentionality on our part. It requires action. It requires doing something. And one thing that I, I want to kind of point out, because in, when any, inevitably when we're talking about the context of this verse here is talking about finance, finances, it's talking about like, it's talking about money. And so anytime we, we get into uh, a, a, sec, a section of scripture where we're talking about money, it can be easy to get into a couple of different ditches, right? So the first one. Uh, the first ditch is the prosperity gospel, right? So it's the idea that I can kind of turn giving into a formula. If I sow my seed, if I give X amount, then God's obligated to bless me financially. And we'll, we're going to kind of hit that a little more later and how this is not that. Uh, that's the first kind of ditch. The other is just the ditch of good works. It's like we, t- we, we can tend to have this reflex that says, hey, give me the thing to do. Give me the thing to do so that God will approve of me or love me more or be pleased with me. What's the thing that I have to do, right? And this isn't a work reward program. It isn't about the work 
of doing. We'll get to, to more on that later, but I just, I want to point that out to us. Like, we don't want to go into either of those ditches this morning. This isn't about your works, but it does say, do not neglect to do. There is an activity that is happening here. There's something that we, we must, we must do. And, and the reason for that comes, uh, well, is, is kind of precedes that. The reason for that is this. We're going to continue there in, in verse 16. But Christian charity is an intentional act of obedience. It's an intentional act of obedience. And we get that here in the text. Do not neglect. Now, I want us to look at something here. The author, he's telling us to do something, right? And, and so when we look at that, we, we go, okay, well, what does he mean? What, what, What's the purpose behind him telling us to do something? Is it like a suggestion or is it like a good idea? Uh, but the way that he's presenting this idea, the way that this is presented to us in scripture, the language that he uses is important. And it reinforces the idea that this is like a commandment. This is a command in scripture. He's telling us, hey, this is what Christians who are living in the kingdom of God, this is how they act. This is how they behave. This is what they do. And it's a command in that sense. So twice... In this passage, in this chapter, the author makes a command, and it's kind of in the inverse. And what I mean by that is rather than saying, because earlier he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So rather than saying it this way, hey, uh, be sure that you are hospitable to strangers and that you give away. You share. You give what you have away for the other, sake of other people. He actually says, don't neglect to do those things. And why does that matter? And, and here's, here's why I think that matters. Because neglect is the opposite of obedience. Usually we jump straight to disobedience, right? We say, well, disobedience is the opposite. But if you think about it, like if I ask my son to go clean his room, for, for example, and he neglects to do it. And it's not like a willful ne neglect. It's not like a Man, I'm not going to listen to my dad. I'm not going to do what he says. I'm going to do what I want. But it's more of a, he just got distracted, right? He's, he's playing with toys. He puts it off. He forgets to do it. Did he do what I asked him? No. Was he disobedient? Yes. He, he may not have thought all of those things, but the end result was the same. It, the thing that was asked to do didn't happen. So in his neglect, he was still disobedient. So neglect in this case is the opposite of obedience. And I, I, think, I think that's part of the reason why the author chose to say it this way instead of any other way that he could say it. We can neglect to show hospitality to strangers. We can neglect to do good and share what we have out of a complete lack of intentionality. Like we, It's not that we're wanting to do that or to not do that. But we can just neglect to do it by not thinking about it at all. Uh, so it's a command here. It's an opportunity for us to be intentionally obedient to God's will. Christian charity is an intentional act of obedience. Christian charity is also a sacrificial act. We look again to the text in verse 15. Through him, then, and this is speaking of Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, this whole chapter, if you read this whole chapter, 13, 
it's using language and imagery that's relating to the old sacrificial system, and it's connecting it to what Jesus did. And how Jesus fulfilled that sacrificial system. And how the need for those sacrifices, they're, they're no longer needed. It's actually strange if you think you believe in Jesus and think you need the old sacrificial system. But what's interesting about this and, and here in other places of scripture is that we get a glimpse of the idea that the, the entire sacrificial system wasn't completely replaced but it was actually um, changed, like parts of it just became spiritual in nature. So if you look at Romans 12.1, Paul says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're to offer our whole selves as a sacrifice. We're to offer, and then we see in this passage, we're to offer God praises as a sacrifice. And we're to offer our own things to other people. We're to share with uh, the people of God as a means of sacrifice. A sacrifice, it says, that is pleasing to God. And sacrifices in Scripture, when we look to the Old Testament, they were always to be the first fruits, right? They were always to be the best that someone had. It wasn't leftovers. It wasn't excess. It was, it was actually a sacrifice. A sacrifice is meant to be a sacrifice. I've said the word sacrifice a lot. <laughs> Scripture says it a lot. But it means to give something up. So when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God, we're relinquishing our grip on our own autonomy. We're saying God's will be done. Not my own. And when we offer God praises, we're realigning our allegiances to him. We're sacrificing our tendency to give our own hearts and desires first priority. We're declaring that he is the rightful king, that we are his humble servants. When we sacrifice by giving away what we have for the sake of others, we're acknowledging God's control over our resources. And that he knows the best way to distribute them. We are acknowledging our dependence on him. So giving sacrificially by definition means giving something up. Our four-year-old Hal, he loves to give Aaron and I gifts. And it's really sweet. He's four. Um, he has no means of going to the store and picking out a toy or something, picking out a gift and buying it and bringing, us, bringing it back to us. And I mean, can, can you imagine that? Like, I, you may have seen this show. There's a show where they talk about in Japan, uh, they call it like the first errand. And they basically send three-year-olds out into the world to do an errand by themselves, which is like crazy to think about. Uh, the idea of like sending my four-year-old one street over, let alone down 23rd Street to Quick Trip to like grab me a soda and come back to the house. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's that like level of stuff. The one that Aaron and I watched, they like sent this three-year-old to, to go pick up sushi like by himself. They lived in a high-rise apartment and this is in Tokyo and he's like crossing crosswalks and streets and train tracks and goes and pays for the sushi and gets it and goes back. It's just crazy. So like trying to imagine my four-year-old doing that is crazy to me, but he would love to, I think if he could, because he loves to give us gifts. He loves to, to do that kind of thing, but because he can't do that, he, he's basically just like giving us stuff around the house, right? Like, it'll be like something that he finds. He's like, I think this is cool. And it's like, hey, but that's actually like, that's ours already. Like we already own that. Um, or what, what's really sweet is like, he'll give us his own toys and as gifts. 
And I think some of this for me, it, it was born out of like, I told him about how like, hey, I don't really, I don't have any of my childhood toys anymore. I don't really know what happened to him. And, um, you know, I'm sad because I wish I could give you and your brother some of those toys that I had, right? That's, that's, but I think in his mind, he made the like connection. Dad didn't have toys when he was a kid. I think he, I think he truly believes that. He'll ask me all the time, like, did you have Legos? I'm like, yeah, buddy, I had Legos. Like, it's okay. Um, so he like tries to give me his toys and he'll like try to wrap it up. And like right now, Aaron's stocking is just full of like just random stuff. Like I was looking at it last night and it's just like random stuff from the house is in her stocking. Um, it's super sweet. Uh, but sometimes my favorite is when he'll like, he'll like bring me a handful of like Hot Wheels and he'll be like, Hey dad, you can have these. And I'm like, thanks buddy. And then he's like, yeah, these are the ones I don't like. Like, I don't like these and you can have them. It's like, oh, okay. I get it. So it, it, it's not like our sacrifices are meant to be a sacrifice. Not like, hey, here's this, here's this stuff I don't like. You can just have it. Like, here's what's left over. Here's, here's what's not actually like, it's not really causing me to feel anything by giving this to you. That's not what he's, that's not the kind of sacrifice he's talking about. He's talking about sacrifices that force us to rethink how we are distributing our, in this case, our money. It's a sacrificial act. And Christian charity then is a sacrificial act of dependence. It seems kind of counterintuitive, right? Uh, How will I be financially secure if I'm giving stuff away? Christian charity, though, it, it demonstrates our dependence on God to the people around us, to the world around us. And it can be really easy to think this, I'll I'll be more generous when I have more. When I have more margin, when I have more whatever, fill in the blank, I'll be generous when I have more. But generosity and charity, it's not about how much you have. Look at this story. Um, You don't have to turn there, but this is 1 Kings chapter 17 in verse 8. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is talking about Elijah. This is the prophet of God. Um, He says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, this was right after Elijah had prophesied that there was going to be a famine in the land. And then he went out into the wilderness and had nothing to eat. God set him up. He set up camp for him right by a river so he'd have something to drink. And then he literally sent food to him by birds. So I can't imagine. It's like, I'll send the ravens to feed you, which is like trying to be Elijah in that moment. Like, really? Like the ravens? Like, how about like a bigger bird to send me some food like that that seems like a raven's not going to be able to carry very much which I'm, I'm guessing that's the case like he probably was eating very small morsels right and but he did God provided for him gave him the food and then the river dries up there's a famine in the land the river dries up he has so he has to leave that place and he's going back to town and I'm sure just like basically living off of bird morsels the dude's pretty hungry and he says there's a widow there to feed you so he rose and he went to Zarephath And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her again and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. 
And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So this widow was down to the last little bit of stuff that she had to make bread. And she assumed she couldn't take care of herself. And this culture, like she was basically destitute and she assumed she was just going to eat this last meal and then waste away. And that was what was going to happen. So she, that, she, she had nothing. She's like, I don't have, I, I'm going to eat one meal and die. Like, I don't have enough to give you bread. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So this woman had nothing. She didn't even have two pennies to rub together. And yet God asked her through the prophet Elijah to prepare a meal for him. And God wasn't, he wasn't punishing her. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to ruin her financially. He was trying to teach her to trust him. He was teaching her dependence. And in doing that and her being obedient to that, making that sacrifice, two things happened. This woman provided a meal for God's servant, something that he very much needed. She met a tangible need. That was the first thing. And then God also blessed her with abundance. So Christian charity isn't about how much you have. It's about how much faith you have. And it demonstrates our dependence on God when we are willing to give sacrificially. The sacrifice, it's not about the sacrifice, right? Itself. God actually, when speaking to the Israelite people in Hosea, he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's about the condition of our hearts when we do it. It's about surrender. It's about dependence. It's about ordering our lives rightly and acknowledging God's rightful authority over our lives. It's about being dependent. It is a sacrificial act of dependence. So charity is intentional. It's an intentional act of obedience. It is sacrificial. It's a sacrificial act of dependence. And then here's two connections I want to make between Christian charity and the Advent season, um, we think about, you know, we often think about generosity in this time of year. And so here's some connections I want to make there. First, Christian charity is actually an image of God's grace. Jesus was the ultimate gift of God's grace. His birth signifies the greatest gift ever to mankind. Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest act of charity to ever happen in the history of everything. And if you look at the word charity, uh, it's actually derived from um, the word agape, which is the, a, word, a word in the Greek for love. And it's actually kind of the word that's used to describe like unconditional, faithful, steadfast, ongoing love. So charity is derived from that. 
We often, that word just kind of, I feel like, has a tendency to get watered down a little bit. We think we, we hear the word charity, we're like, oh, like, I give to a charity. Like, it's a charity. Like, there's this, uh, we've kind of detached some of the meaning from it. It's almost become like a, a word just to describe a thing, right? But it's actually derived from this idea of love. And if, if that's true, then we should be loving because God has loved us. He first loved us, Scripture tells us. We should be charitable. We should be generous because of the charity and, and generosity that God has shown to us. God's grace is his unmerited favor towards us, his gifts to a people that were undeserving. We didn't deserve his grace. We didn't deserve it. And he gave it to us anyway. In Christ Jesus, God has given you everything that you need. Everything that you need. Not only that, but Jesus taught us that he would provide for your every need. So this morning, follower of Jesus, God owns everything. Everything you have, everything you have is a gift. It's, it's grace from God. So then for God to ask us to then give that away, some of that away, at least he knows what you have. He'll be faithful to provide for you. And that's not, so here's what, like, like I said, we don't want to go into the ditches here. It's not the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel takes godly principles of generosity and it warps them into a formula. Like if you sow your seed in the right place, God's going to bless you financially, right? It turns God into a slot machine with a guaranteed return. Like that's what the prosperity gospel does. And that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what scripture tells us. But the Bible does teach us that God will provide for your needs and that you will be blessed when you do this. But that blessing can look a lot of different ways. That doesn't mean like I'll do that and then like immediately like I get a return on my investment, right? Like that's how people treat it. And that's not the way that it works. But God will bless you. Paul, even, in writing to the Philippians, and this is in conjunction, he's, he's expressing gratitude towards them for their financial support of him while he was planting churches. And he said this to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ, you people who have been generous and charitable towards me. That's what he's saying. Our generosity is an image of God's grace in our own lives. Much like the Christmas story is the perfect image of God's grace towards us. And the second thing, second way that this uh, ties into Advent is generosity, charity. It's actually a means of God's justice. It's a means of God's justice. We're still waiting and longing for Christ's return to rule, to reign forever. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will have need for nothing. There will be no need for Christian charity because no one will have any need. No one will have any need. But that isn't our current reality, right? We're standing in that gap of the already and the not yet. And when we know what Christ has done and what things will be like when Christ returns and he makes all things new, it should create longing in us. And we should long for things to be right. We should long for things the way, to be the way that they were meant to be. And that longing for things to be different, to be made right, leads to charitable behavior. Because it's a tangible way that God has given us the means to right wrongs. To help us unmake injustices in our world that are born out of sin and brokenness. A lot, of, a lot of situations that require generosity and charity are the result of injustice. 
Christian charity is a means of God's justice because it allows us to participate in God's will on earth as it is in heaven. One small, tangible way at a time. I, I can't, I, this is just coming to me in this moment, um, so forgive me for not um, nailing the statistical accuracy, but I saw a statistic earlier this week from the Barner Research Group that talked about, a, I want to say it was like 70%, Will, do you remember this statistic? Was it 70%? Somewhere around 70% of all, of all like charitable, generous giving is done by Christians, like Christian churches and Christian people. And so like, like the, the Christian uh, people are like a powerhouse when it comes to charitable and generous giving and it's like nothing else even comes close like nothing else in our world and our culture even comes close to the amount um, th- the amount of initiatives and the amount of things that Christians are giving towards in an effort to do this very thing to, to make things on earth as it is in heaven that is the point that's the purpose it's a means of God's justice and so what are some practical things that we can do? If, if you don't know where to start, um, you're like, oh man, I, that's okay. I, I think I'm tracking with you. Where do I start? I'm, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, the first thing you can do is give generously to the local church. This isn't, this isn't a tithing sermon. This is not the point of the sermon, but that is a tangible step that someone can take. Um, the local church is a, a primary way in which God carries out his will on earth today. It's the partnership of faith-filled Christians with the church aimed at equipping them for ministry and helping those in need that does that and, and and that does require financial support you know we looked we saw this widow in first kings like everyone can give something and maybe it's an increase at ex- the expense of something else um again it's not a sermon on tithing but like giving to the local churches is one of the easiest ways to partner with god financially in what he's doing in our world the other way you can do that is you can support missionaries right like we have we have missionaries ab- abroad we have missionaries locally we have the the myrick family that and their work in, in in africa that they're doing um you can help support that we have max and chloe hill and their initiatives here in the city and uh in in the universities in kansas city um that you can support them there's city initiatives that you can find. There's, there's ways to find um, nonprofits that are, that are doing other things in the city to help people. And I think, like, you know, maybe the first step even is not to go, oh, I need to do one of those things. It's like, man, just pray. Like, if you ask God to bring you needs to meet, he'll do that. If you're like, hey, God, I, what are some tangible needs that I can meet in this season? I mean, God's going to do that. Like, you're, those things are going to come to your front door. So pray. Pray and ask God for that. And look for ways in this room to help, help each other. Um, we have, you know, we have the church center app and there's a prayer and care needs group in there. Uh, there's, there's things posted in there all the time that you can find ways to help people. We're actually looking at, we're going to be retooling some of that soon, the way that the communication functions in there and kind of the chat threads. Um, and one of the things we're going to be adding to that is a way for people to go like a channel where you could basically say like, Hey, I've got this like skill, this thing that I can do. And I, I don't really know how to make it known. So I'm going to put that here. And like, how can I help you? How can I be of help? Like, is there something, like, say you're good at fixing cars or something, right? And you're like, do you have a problem with your car that, you know, you, you need some help with? I'd love to do that. So look around this room. Uh, our dishwasher broke um, a while back. And, and Chris Morrison, I, I think, like, normal circumstances 
I think I would have been like, oh, I think I can do this. And then like we hit some very interesting snags, you know, as it always is when you're dealing with the last person that had your house and the things that they did, right? Um, and Chris Morrison came and helped with our dishwasher. That's the thing that like, I'm not super handy. So that was like really, really incredible that he did that. I'm super thankful. So we need to look, be looking for ways in this room to help each other. And so finally we... Maybe those are some ways to think about some things to start. Um, and then finally, I just, I think there's maybe two questions that we can all ask ourselves. And, and maybe it's, you know, maybe you're like, yeah, I actually do that. Like, I'm, I'm pretty generous financially. Like, I do a lot uh, to various causes and to the church and, um, you know, things like that. I think I've kind of got that in order. Uh, and that's great. That's amazing. But a question I think you can still ask, even if that's you, is, and this is something we can all ask ourselves, is where do I need to increase my generosity? And money and finances aren't the only resources we have, right? We have time, we have knowledge and experience, we have relationships, we have resources. Like, am I being generous everywhere that I can be and in every way that God is asking me to? So that's the first question, is like, where do I need to increase my generosity, my Christian charity? And the question too, I think this is a this is a big one for like the internal heart work that may need to happen with us in terms of thinking about this. And this question that again I think we can all ask ourselves is, am I content? You know, Paul um, in his writing said, I've been able to be, I've learned to be content in every situation. He was in some really hard situations, right? Like he was beaten for the sake of the gospel. He's put in prison. He says, I've learned to be content in every situation. Am I content? You know, we talked about the disposition of the world earlier. Like everything around, everything around us is marketing discontentment to us, right? Your, your stuff, it's not good enough. It's lackluster. It's old now. You need new stuff. You need new, better stuff. Contentment, the idea of contentment doesn't sell things, right? Like we have to mark, be marketed discontentment. Am I content? Without contentment, we can't pursue generosity. Discontentment with what we have leads us to try to get more. To buying more, to spending more, to constantly like be needing something better. Uh, or it, it just leads us to being unhappy with what we have. Contentment, though, is the soil in which the seeds of charity grow. It's the soil in which the seeds of charity grow. When we're dependent on God, we can find contentment in Him and what He's given us. And it's in that place that we can be generous from, we can be charitable from. Am I content? And if not, if I'm not, what do I need to do to be content? I think part of that questioning is investigating what God's word says about that, about contentment. That's another sermon, so we don't have time for that this morning. Um, but go investigate that. You're like, man, I, I don't know. Maybe I am feeling discontent in a lot of areas, and I want to know what God says about that. There's plenty of places in the word that you can go to for that. And then the second thing I would say is pray, pray for God to reveal that to you. God, where, where am I being discontent? Can you show me what, what it means to be content in those places so that I can do the things you've asked of me? And so Christian charity is really this. It, it's faith-filled love in action. Christian charity is faith-filled love in action. This time of year, we, we look at the gift 
that Jesus was. We look to the grace that was bestowed on us at the cross. And our response should be to try to imitate the one who has given us all things. It's pleasing to him, it says, when we do this. One commentator, Dennis Johnson, says this. Share what you have captures the financial connotation from the term koinonia, which is sometimes uh, translated fellowship. It captures the financial connotation of that term often in the New Testament. Such horizontal or human-to-human forms of service have a vertical dimension as well. For God counts them as sacrifices offered up to him and pleasing to him. Paul compares a church's contribution towards his own financial support to an offering with a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And the author of Hebrews expands that horizon further, showing that deeds of kindness and sharing offered to any of God's people are offerings in which God himself delights. So do not neglect to do good and share what you have. Would you pray with me? So God, this morning, um, we look to you as our standard. We look to you as the one who has shown us the way. And in bringing Jesus, God, you have shown us your generosity. You have shown us your charity. You have shown us the way that we should live. And so this morning, God, I pray that where we are discontent, we would be content. God, that where we need to be reminded of what you've done for us, we will be reminded of that. God, I pray that we would be a people who are, who are loving and kind, but also generous and charitable. For Not because of what we think it does for our, like elevating our status in your sight or, or any of those things, God, but we would be generous people because you were generous to us. We could be a generous people because of your love for us and your will to do good in this world now and our ability to join you in that. Thank you. Thank you that we get to do that. You didn't have to make things work this way, and yet you want us to be a part of your plan. You want us to work alongside you in this broken world, and God, we're thankful for that. Would you provide us, not just individually, God, would you give us opportunities as a church to do those things? Would you give us opportunities to, um, to care for needs and to, to be generous people who, who show the light of the world and the light of Christ through the things that we do and give away? Would you help us to be and become that? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to continue to worship and we're going to come to the table for communion. As we do that, uh, we reflect on Jesus, who was the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb. It was his generosity. It was his sacrifice that's given us new life. And, And this was God's plan all along. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, we might be able to share in this meal as sons and daughters of God. So this is a family meal. It's made possible by a God who loves you and a Savior who died for you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, we invite you to come and eat, to come and take the bread, tear off a piece, and dip that in the juice. We also have, in this line, there's gluten-free 
gluten-free option. And in doing so, taking the bread, taking the juice, and eating that, you get to proclaim the resurrected Christ this morning until the day that we go to him, to meet him, or until he returns. So let's do that this morning. Let's worship him.